God, I don't, I don't know if you're keeping score or not, but uh, we are on, we're almost three-fourths of the way through the Old Testament, if you've been reading in the story with us. It's only four or five weeks that we've been doing this series, but uh, we've already covered 1,200 years of biblical history, 23 major characters, 18 books of the Bible, and three major time periods of biblical history. So we've talked about the time of the patriarchs with Noah and Moses and Abraham, we've talked about the cycle of judges with Samson and Gideon and Deborah and a few others, and then we've talked about the cycle of kings, or at least begin the discussion about the cycle of kings. We're going to talk about a few more today, but we talked about Saul and David and Solomon. Uh, Today, we actually kind of wrap up the kings and move into the prophets, and that's the last major time period that we're going to cover. And if you're new to Murray Hills, or if you join us for the first time online today, uh, we're doing a series called The Story. And it's taken us through the entire Bible. So uh, we started, I can't remember when, well, four or five weeks ago. I can't remember the exact date. But we started reading through the Old Testament. And we got, after this week, we'll have two weeks left for that. And then we're going to take just a little break during fall break to give everybody a chance to catch up if they need some time to catch up. And then we'll start the New Testament. So if you're new, it's your first time, uh, you can catch up easily this week if you want to. Uh, we're only about 13 chapters into the book, so you can actually catch up uh, over the week or two here. Or you can wait and join us for the New Testament journey. But today, we, so the last fourth of the Old Testament for me, uh, this was the most interesting. And I'm talking about when I went through the story. So the, the first time I read this was probably about a year ago. And I was thinking about whether or not I wanted to use this for a series or take our church through the study, that kind of thing. And this, this time of the prophets was the most interesting part of the Old Testament to me. And that's largely because I'd never really made it that far before. Okay, and, and by that, I mean like... I know I'm a preacher, and I should lie and tell you that I've always, you know, I've read through the old Bible. Of course, I do it multiple times a year. Like three or four times a year I read through the Bible. What are you talking about? I've got most of it memorized. But uh, reality is the prophets was always the stumbling block for me. Like I couldn't, like I could, I could power my way through Deuteronomy. I could power my way through Leviticus just because I knew there was some history on the other side. But when you got to like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea, and you start reading through all those prophets and the writing is cumbersome, and there's a lot of poetry in there, and you don't always know who they're talking about. That was the thing that kind of threw me off. It's like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about or who you're talking about. Because in the time of the prophets, the characters we look at are not nearly as familiar to us. So everybody knows Noah, everybody knows Moses, everybody knows Abraham, people who have no church background or, or no faith background, you know those stories, like you're familiar with those stories. Most of us know King David, even if we have no church background. We've heard those stories, we've heard of Solomon, and we know about Proverbs, and we know about Psalms, like we know all those names. But when you start getting to names like Jeroboam, and Rehoboam, and Ahab, like who who are those people? I don't even know who you're talking about. Most of us know the most famous character in the time of the prophets, most of us know is Jezebel. And that's just because she's kind of a pop cultural icon. But Jeroboam and Rehoboam, those names are fun to say, and I'm going to say them a lot today in the message. But who are they? And why do they matter? Well, they matter a great deal because they explain how Israel ends up ultimately as a divided kingdom and ends up in exile. It's largely because of the sins of Jeroboam and Rehoboam and all the other kings that follow them. And that's why the prophets arise in Israel is to confront all these bad kings and all these bad people and say, you guys aren't following God anymore and you got to get this straightened out. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last Sunday. We ended with uh, Solomon. That's kind of where we were, were ending last Sunday. 
And uh, Solomon built the temple of God in the city of Jerusalem. And then at the, this is like midway through Kings, what is it? Second Kings, First Kings, First Kings 11. So if you've got a Bible with you, go to First Kings 11. Uh, or if you've got the story with you, I think it's page 193. So you'll read this this week. But First Kings chapter 11 kind of concludes the story of uh, Solomon. And Keith, it's all on you today, okay? Because it's not working for me. Um, so the story says, Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Then he rested with his ancestors and he was buried in the city of David as his father. His father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. So it's this nice little conclusion to Solomon's story, but it doesn't work nearly as smoothly as those two verses make it sound. Because Rehoboam is supposed to be the next king of Israel, but there was something that happened right before Solomon's death, or maybe not right before, but before Solomon's death. There was an official in his court by the name of Jeroboam. And Jeroboam's going home one day, and a prophet of God comes to him and says, you are going to be the next king of Israel. And, of course, Jeroboam's like, what do you mean the next king of Israel? I'm not, a, I'm not Solomon's son. Solomon's son's Rehoboam's going to be the next king of Israel. And he says, no, you're going to be the next king of Israel because Solomon has not followed me. Solomon has been worshiping the gods of all his wives. Remember, he had 700-something wives. He's been worshiping the gods of all his wives, the gods of Baal and the Canaanites and the Hittites. And, all these, and so I'm going to take his kingdom away from him. But not from him, from his son. And so you're going to be the king of Israel, and the kingdom of Israel is going to be split into two. So he prophesies the, the, the fall of the kingdom of Israel. It's going to be a northern and a southern kingdom. Well, word gets back to Solomon that Jeroboam is going to be the one that will succeed him as king. And so Solomon decides that he needs to kill Jeroboam. And so he tries to kill Jeroboam because he's a threat to his power. Jeroboam escapes to Egypt, and eventually Solomon, Solomon dies. Okay, so at, the, at his death, Rehoboam, his son, goes up to Shem, this is in verse 44, to be anointed as king. But Jeroboam comes back from Egypt, and Jeroboam offers a peace deal to Rehoboam. And he's been prophesied to be the king of Israel, and so you got this power conflict waiting to happen here. But Jeroboam comes and offers a peace deal, and he says to him, listen, if you will simply lighten the load on the people of Israel then I and all the other people will serve you as king. Because Solomon had, had done slave labor to get his building projects done. And so the Jeroboam comes with a simple offer. If you'll lighten the load, then I will follow you as king. And Rehoboam goes to his advisors. He goes to his elders and he asks their advice and says, what do you guys think? Should we lighten the load? And they said, yes, this is a good idea. If you will lighten the load on the people of Israel, then all the people of Israel will serve you as king. Then, now that, that sounds like problem solved, right? You just, just follow the advice of your elders, follow the advice of Jeroboam, and, and the, all of Israel will serve you as king. And this actually will happen the way that it says. But here's what he does, actually does. It says, but, 2 Kings 12, verse 8, but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. And uh, the young men, he basically says, what do you guys think? And the young men said, tell the people of Israel that your little finger is thicker than Solomon's waist. In other words, you think you had it bad under my daddy's rule. I'm going to make it twice as bad. I'm going to make it ten times as hard as it was under Solomon's rule because I'm Rehoboam. And, I'm, and, you, and you follow this and go, why? All throughout this week's reading, you're going to stop at several times and go, 
why? What's the matter with them? What is the matter with you, Rhea? But why would you do that? Like, why would you reject the advice of the elders and follow the advice of these, these other people and say, we're gonna, if you would have just followed the advice of the elders, followed the advice of Jeroboam, you would be king of Israel. But no, you threaten to make it harder on them. So guess what happens? Jeroboam breaks away from Rehoboam, and the northern kingdom splits away from the southern kingdom, and Israel enters into a time of a divided kingdom and ultimately a time of civil war. So ten of the tribes of Israel go with Jeroboam into the northern kingdom, and two of the tribes stay with Rehoboam in the southern kingdom, and it's Judah and Benjamin, and Rehoboam's the king of Judah, and Jeroboam is the king of Israel. Just like the prophet said he would be, Jeroboam becomes the king of Israel. But Rehoboam keeps Judah. Now, then a problem develops. Oh, first, let me answer that question. Why did he do that? Why did he reject the advice? As I read it, I can answer it real simple. Ego. That's what got him. Ego. That's what, I mean, he, uh, why did he say, my, my little finger's thicker than my daddy's waist? Because it was about his ego. He, he let his pride get in the way, and that's ultimately what brought the downfall of the kingdom. And guess who predicted that? His daddy. I mean, this, look at this, Proverbs. Oh, I forgot my, we'll go to Proverbs 16, Keith. You know why it's not working? Because the receiver is right here. And this is the, yeah, that's my fault. So, uh, <laughs> So, look at what Solomon says. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so Rehoboam's pride leads to the fall of the nation of Israel, just as Solomon said it would. Then you get into Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, you think, well, okay, well, Jeroboam's going to be a good king because he's following the prophet's instruction. And, you know, he's got, well, no, here's what happens. And this is crazy, actually. It really is crazy. So Jeroboam gets into power in the northern kingdom, and he realizes that Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom, and Solomon had built a temple in the southern kingdom. So anybody from the northern kingdom that wants to worship God, they're going to have to go down to the southern kingdom to worship God. They're going to have to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God, and that's going to be a problem because if they go down to the southern kingdom, then they might end up being allegiant to the southern king, and therefore they might want to kill me as king. So he decides to build another place of worship in the northern kingdom. But it's not a place of worship to God. This is, this is the astounding part of it right here. Look at this. And this is another uh, case of poor advice. This whole ser series today could be about all about make sure the advice you get is from good uh, people. But here, 1 Kings chapter 12. Throw that one up for me. After seeking advice, look at this, what he did. The king, talking about Jeroboam, made two golden calves. And he said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And one he set up in Bethel, and the other one he set up in Dan. And again, you read this verse and go, what is the matter with you? Like, what, what is going on here? Like, Jeroboam, I get the whole, you're scared of him going down to the temple, but you, you establish two golden calves, and this is exactly what Aaron did at Mount Sinai. So if you go back in the book of Exodus, right after we get the Ten Commandments, and God says, you should have no other gods before me, and you should not make any false idols before me. The first two commandments, right after Moses comes down and says, here's the two commandments of God, what does Aaron do? He 
melts down all their gold and jewelry and puts it into a golden calf and says, this here's the God who brought you out of Egypt. And they start bowing down to that God as if that, that golden calf is the God that brought them out of Egypt. So Jeroboam does the same thing except he does two of them now. And he uses the exact same language as Moses. And you just watch this and you watch this story unfold and you're like, what is the matter with, like, how could you do that? I don't understand. It doesn't matter. How could you bow down to two golden calves and say, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt? I mean, it's like on the surface, it's totally illogical. It's like, how could you be enticed into following false gods? How could the people of Israel be so ungrateful? You think everything God has done for them. I mean, just go back through our history. I mean, he's brought them out of slavery. He's defeated the hand of Pharaoh. He's delivered them into the promised land. He's provided for them food. He's provided for them direction. He's provided for them deliverance. I mean, God has been faithful over and over and over again. What Tiffany sang about, great is thy faithfulness. God has proved it over and over and over and over and over again. So you would expect the people to be grateful, and in response to God's faithfulness, they would be faithful in return. But they don't. They build golden calves and bow down to the golden calves as if they were the God that led them out of Egypt. Well, before we get too worked up (laughs) over how incredulous this is that the Israelites would do it, we might want to take just a step back and realize that the golden calf is not so obvious when you're the one bowing down to it. Like from a distance, when we look at the cat, we can see them bowing down to that and say, that's crazy. Like that makes no sense whatsoever. That, that, that's just, you've totally lost your minds. You're, you're forsaking a faithful God in order to worship this. But when you're the one with your face to the ground before the golden calf, it's not quite as obvious. And I'm going to give uh, Mary DeMuth uh, credit for this one. Mary DeMuth and Matt White wrote this sermon, so I'll get to Matt's section of the sermon in just a minute. But uh, Mary, Mary DeMuth uh, gets the first section of the sermon because this was a book that uh, Aaron actually gave to me, and um, our drummer, and uh, it was, it's called We Too. It's about the Me Too movement in the church. And so it's about how, you know, the pervasiveness of pornography and kind of our, our loosening all of our sexual morals and kind of an anything goes sexuality, it, we we kind of reaped what we sowed with the Me Too movement, and it was happening in the church as well. And so this is how the Me Too movement has affected the church. And in a chapter, is chapter 6, on the pervasiveness of porn, this is what Mary DeMuth writes. She says, the Greek word pornea occurs 26 times in the New Testament, and it's the origin of the word we use today. It's primarily related to uh, any form of sexual immorality. But, she says, metaphorically, It has an interesting connotation. Metaphorically, it can be used to refer to the worship of idols. And this is what she writes in the next paragraph. An idol is something with which you replace God. It can be a foothold Satan uses to climb his way into your affections. It's something you fill yourself up with, revere, pay homage to. Tim Keller wrote, idolatry is always the reason we ever do anything wrong. And throughout the Old and New Testaments, we see the equation of idolatry and the worship of demons. I mean, she just goes on talking about this. And I want you to look at that quote right there. From Tim wrote that in Counterfeit Gods. And I haven't read the book Counterfeit Gods, but I'm kind of interested in reading that book next. But idolatry is always the reason we do everything wrong. We're so 
blown away by like, how could you bow down to a golden calf? And I wonder if somebody wrote our history 3,000, 4,000 years from now and people read the history of us and said, seriously, how could you bow down? How could you spend so much time with that little rectangle in your pocket? Seriously? Like, how could you bow down to that screen over and over and over? Now, how could that get so much of your attention and so much of your affection? How could you bow down to money? Because Jesus even equates money to a God in the New Testament. Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, you'll despise the one, be devoted to the other. So how could you, how could you bow down to that? Or to Mary DeMuth's point, maybe pornography has become that. That this, like, an idol is anything we give our affection to, anything that gets our attention, anything that gets our devotion, anything that we pay homage to. And you think about all the things that we pay homage to, and all the golden calves in our lives. And we got plenty. We got, the thing is, they just had two, uh, the Israelites. We got way more than two. But you think about all the things that we bow down to, all the idols and all the, the bad that comes out of bowing down to these counterfeit gods and one of the biggest ones and this is Matt's part of the sermon so uh, one of the biggest ones hit me on was it Tuesday night I think at the Hampshire ball game we were at volleyball game and it went to five sets and and volleyball games that go to five sets that they they don't end they just go on and on and on and on and on uh, and like so we're in the second hour of the volleyball game and Matt and I was talking in the bleachers and I mean we're watching the game i don't, don't, you know, we're supporting our daughters. But uh, we start talking philosophy and theology and politics. And I mean, it's to the point that, like, we're in this deep, deep conversation. And Jenny's like, you guys are, are a bunch of nerds. Like, y'all need to watch more sports or something because I don't know what you're talking about. But, but Matt made an observation that I was like, ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that Sunday. And I'm not going to give you any credit. But I, I had second thoughts about it, so I'm giving him credit. But... Um, the observation was that the greatest idol in our generation is ourself. That's the greatest idol in our generation. Actually, the phone is not really an idol. It's just a symptom of the idol of self. Because we, we put those selfies out there because we're hoping to get likes and we're hoping to get follows and we're hoping to get love and we're hoping to get attention and we're hoping to get some affection. Like we bow down to the idol of ourselves. And then if you think about it, if idolatry is always the reason we do ever, ever do anything wrong... The idolatry of self is always the reason we ever do anything wrong. If you'll think about the sins that we commit against other people or the sins we commit against ourselves, it almost always is rooted in selfishness. Maybe I would add pride to it, but pride is a self-centered thing. Pride and ego is a self-centered thing. You look at Rehoboam's sin is idolatry of self. I want to be greater than my father. And Jeroboam's sin is idolatry of self. I want to preserve my kingdom. This is any time kingdoms fall, and I'm talking about personal kingdoms, okay? Tr take the Old Testament, move it forward into our lives. Anytime our personal kingdoms fall, isn't it always rooted in selfishness? I mean, it's like when we hurt somebody else, it's usually because we're being selfish. When we do things that are harmful to other people in our lives, it's usually because we're being selfish. When we say things that are harmful, it's usually because we're being selfish. And when it's all about me and my wants and what I need and what I desire then it manifests itself in sin. And that's exactly what happens in the kingdom of Israel. And that's why the story of Jeroboam and Rehoboam is probably the story, maybe, maybe there's a reason that we don't read that far in the Old Testament because it starts hitting too close to home because when you start reading the prophets and you're like, oh, I'm that guy. 
I'm the guy that they're talking about. Because that, here's what happens. God raises up prophets in order to speak against the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And the, what they're doing is idolatry, and they're not following the terms of the covenant, and they're worshiping false gods. And so God raises up prophets to confront them on that and to, to call them into repentance. And you start reading the prophets, and you go, oh, like, that could, that could, that could be me. I mean, it's real easy to stand in judgment of Israel. It's, it's super easy to read the Old Testament and stand in judgment and say, how could they be so blind? How could they be so dumb? How could they just follow all these false gods? Not realizing that we follow all of these false gods. And our false gods actually worse than a golden calf. It's us. Like We've made ourselves the God. We've put our, our needs and our wants and our desires above God. And one of the, the things that the prophets call people to do is to repent, and guess what repentance requires? Humility. You can't repent with an arrogant attitude. You can't repent with pride. Your pride keeps people from repenting. The reason you won't repent, the reason you won't have forgiveness is because of our pride. But in order to repent, you have to humble yourselves before God, and really before other people, in order to repent. And that's what the prophets are calling the people of God to do. That's why when you read the, the story about Elijah and you read the story about Elisha in this week's reading, and there's some fascinating stories in this week's reading. So the, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal is one of my favorite stories uh, in the Old Testament. And I'm not going to tell it because I don't want to ruin the week's reading every time with the sermon. So I don't want like everything in the sermon was in this week's reading, like sometimes with a movie trailer it does that. So uh, you read the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It is a powerful, powerful story. And guess what it has to do with? idolatry it has to do with the worship of false gods and it speaks something in a day and then you read the stories of elisha and they're powerful stories um you're not going to get to read the story of amos in this week's reading and you're not going to get to read the story of hosea but i'm going to encourage you to check them out to try to learn a little bit about amos and hosea because they're really powerful stories and they're metaphors that get carried forward to today like there's a reason these stories were preserved in this book for us not because, oh, just so we can read a little history about the people of Israel, but because God has a word for us through the prophets. And when I say us, I'm not talking about America. I'm not trying to equate Israel to America and all that kind of stuff. I'm saying like us. Like God has a word for us, the people of God. God's had a word for his church through his Old Testament. There's still a word for us today when we see our sins reflected in the stories of others. And the reason the writings of the prophets are preserved, in my opinion, is as a warning. As a, like, like, we need to preserve these words because guess what? Pride is going to be a problem for humanity for the rest of time. And selfishness is going to be a problem for humanity for the rest of time. And people are going to need to repent for the rest of time. People are going to need to humble themselves for the rest of the time. People are going to be, need to be challenged to return to God for the rest of time. Because if you don't, the kingdom, the personal kingdom, whatever you want to call that, if you don't, things fall apart. And we're going to read the story over the next three weeks now. We're going to read the story of Israel uh, falling apart. So I'm, I'm going to stop right there because I want, I, want you to, I want you to supplement these messages with what you read. So the whole intent of this series is that what I say on Sundays kind of prompts you to go, I'd like to read more about that. I'm kind of interested in what those guys have to say now. And so I'm going to encourage you to just to do that this week. There's only two chapters 
uh, in this week's reading, and I think it's like 24, 25 pages. So this is actually a good week to catch up if you've gotten behind. And if you've really gotten behind on the book and you're like, I'm just not a fast reader, there's no way I can do it, go ahead and spend the money and get the audible version. Get, get the audio version and just listen to it in your car or something. But I mean, these, the stories, they still mean something today. The reason that these stories are preserved is because they still impact our story today. And so I'm encourage you to kind of stick with it. Let me, let me pray for us. I've got just a few things we need to talk about before we leave, but let me pray. Father, I want to um, thank you for preserving this history. And uh, I'm thankful that the, the words of these prophets have been, have been written down for us and preserved through, through all of this history. And I'm thankful that, the, that you inspired the authors of the Bible to write an honest history. You didn't try to sanitize the history. You didn't try to uh, make the heroes look better. You didn't, like, wash out all the bad parts of their story. You included everything in their story because they're, they're men and women just like us. And they're people that are infected with pride just like us and people that are infected with selfishness just like us. And we see how pride goes before the fall. And we see how selfishness leads to sin. And uh, we see how easily it is to be enticed by idolatry. And God, help us to, help us to guard our hearts against that. In our lives, help us to guard our hearts against uh, the idolatry of self or the idolatry of, of, of money or the idolatry of screens or whatever it is, idolatry of sports, whatever it is that we bow down to and give more affection and attention to than we give to you. And uh, if that's the case, help us to repent, to humble ourselves, and to get those priorities uh, back where they need to be. Father, I ask you to help us do that uh, every day, not just on Sunday, not just when we're thinking about it uh, in a worship service, but every day help us to humble ourselves and repent before you so that we can walk in your ways and walk according to your ways. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Oh, Keith, um, go to the, the, I've got three things.